Let's give him praise again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated for a moment. I'll tell you something. Something is happening. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hallelujah, Jesus. I have, I have been a pastor. I've been a preacher now for 33 years. Been a pastor for about 32 of those. 31, 32 of those. And um, I can tell you that you know, one of the hardest things for uh, a pastor to do, any preacher to do, is to sometimes is to, to just make sure you're going in the direction that the Holy Ghost wants to go. And uh, I, in those 31, 32 years, pastor, I can tell you that that this is, I could count on one hand the number of times that this has happened, that I have had a message, a sermon, not that it has been replaced with something else, but that God actually begins to speak to me and about going into a whole different direction with the same thought. And sometimes... I feel like, you know, last Sunday we, we had the move of the Holy Ghost and I yes. didn't preach last Sunday. And there were people that needed to be here that were not here. There are people that need to hear this today that are not here. And I am, uh, I may end up, I don't know, I'm just trying to listen to the Lord right now, but I may end up breaking this up into two pieces. We might do part of it for you today and part of it for some of the some of the others next week. Oh, it would be for you too. But God's doing something special in this place. Would you stand with me one more time? We do want to, I'm going to be reading from the book of Matthew the 22nd or the 6th chapter in the 22nd verse. It's a passage of scripture that is familiar to us, but yet it is one that I've never carefully examined as I have in the last two weeks. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 22, it says, The light of the body is the eye. Several people have mentioned eyes and sight, and even the message in tongues said, You've lost sight of who I am. Jesus. If therefore thine eye be single, everybody say single. single. Thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And then to go along with that, from Romans chapter 7 and verse 10, and it says, and the commandment, now this is going to sound like gobbledygook to some of you, so I'm going to paraphrase it after I'm done. But it says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Are you confused now? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, 
sold under sin. And if I could just paraphrase that by saying that what Paul was saying in a nutshell is, I know in my heart that the law is good. But yet when I look at it through my eyes of the flesh, it looks bad to me. It kills me. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. And I want to speak to you for a little bit about appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessings on his word today. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for what we have felt in this place. And we pray, Lord, that you would anoint your word as it goes forth to minister to every heart and every soul here today. In the name of Jesus Christ, anoint our eyes to see. Anoint our minds to understand. And anoint our hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say amen. God bless you. And you may be seated. Praise God. If I could go back to our scripture text just a minute. Where Jesus said, the light of the body is the eye, if thine eye be single. Everybody say single. Now without cheating, without taking your little Google phone out and looking it up, without we've got all these tools and thank God for them. But without doing that, I'm wondering if anybody has ever considered before exactly what that word single means. Because I will be honest and tell you I have not until the last two weeks. I've preached on this passage many times and just never thought to look up the word single. Now I know that it obviously doesn't mean what we think of single to mean in this day and age. That's where a lot of times the old, the old English gets... Uh, or the, the translation gets lost in the old English. But just for, for out of curiosity's sake, is there anybody that has ever looked up the word without cheating, Brother Jeremy? Is there anybody that has ever looked up the word single in this context, looking at the original meaning of the original Greek text underneath? Anybody? Well, I looked it up, and it comes from the Greek word haplus. Everybody say haplus. And here's what it means. It means true, clear, say clear with me, healthy, sound, and good. Now, I know that one of the rules of biblical interpretation is that you have to look at the context and the time that something is written in. How many of you have ever seen somebody that had, uh, or pictures of somebody. We don't see a lot of it in, in the, the United States because of uh, the wonders of modern medicine, but how many of you have ever seen a picture of someone with a cataract in their eye? You've seen that? When a person has a cataract or cataracts in their eye, what does it look like? Somebody tell me. It's fogged up. It's milky. It's cloudy. When we put ourselves back in time in Jesus' day, in his context, we have to remember that Jesus lived and ministered, worked, walked in a time before glasses were invented. 
There were no eyeglasses. There were no reading glasses. If in his day, if you had a vision problem and Jesus was not around to heal you, you just lived with your vision problem. There was no solution. So Jesus is speaking to an audience that when he says, if your vision is cloudy, everybody in the room immediately knew what he was talking about. Because we take for granted things like this. How many of you right now in this room as I speak either have some form of glasses, reading glasses, eyeglasses, or you have in contacts right now? Look at the hands all over the building. Now imagine if 2,000 years ago you were sitting in a crowd and the speaker is speaking and he says, if your vision is blurred, if your vision is cloudy, then it's going to be darkness to you. There were no reading glasses for people when they got older. Like I, I have to switch glasses at night and during the daytime. I tried the bifocals. Any of you ever tried bifocals before? I tried bifocals and said, this is of the devil. <laughs> and took them back and, and I've since then just had two pair of glasses. I have one pair of glasses for long distances because I'm nearsighted. I have another pair of glasses for reading up close. And so, I, I, you know, I can generally see David just fine. I have a little more trouble seeing Brother Monroe back there. But uh, when it comes to reading fine print and things like that, I, I have a, a lot of difficulty. But there were no glasses for reading glasses in Jesus' day for nearsightedness. And when you look around and you see all the people that, that, that suffer from dim vision or faulty vision or vision that is in some way defective, you have to understand that when Jesus was talking, there was no surgery to remove cataracts. And so they had cloud, blur, dim vision. I remember when I first began to realize that I needed glasses was with my night driving, driving down the interstate and finding that I had trouble seeing road signs off in the distance and it got to the point where it was dangerous and so I finally had to bite the bullet and go in and do something about my, light, my, my eyes and glasses and, and so there were, when you, when you have cataracts, not that I've ever had them, but the symptoms are that, that your eyes become sensitive to light and glare you have difficulty with your vision at night. You see halos around lights that ought not to be there. Your colors aren't what they ought to be. You have a fading or a yellowing of colors and your vision is just not giving you an accurate representation of what ought to be there. Not only am I nearsighted, but I suffer from a little bit of color blindness. I have to have Sister Amanda dress me. Uh, but uh, I remember the first time I went in for my, my color blindness and they gave me the red and green test and the young lady there looked at me and she said, what do you do when you see a green light? Because my eyesight was, was bad enough that she thought that I just kept going. She didn't think I could tell the difference between red and green. 
But uh, my point is, is with these vision defects, colors don't look right. Maybe you have double vision in a, in a single eye. And uh, in other words, once your eye or your eyes develop cataracts or some other vision problems, your vision cannot be trusted any longer. It becomes blurred and it becomes cloudy. Colors are wrong and the double vision is a problem. And what Jesus was doing is he was using this illustration to teach his audience that your vision has to be right if you're going to trust what you see. Jesus said in John 3 and 3, speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Paul said the same thing in Romans 7. He said, I looked at the law, and when I looked at the law, all I saw was death. Sin took advantage of the commandment. In other words, Paul said, all I could see was all of the rules that the law was trying to impose on me. All I could see when I look was like some people today, that they look and all they see is that mean old pastor up there just preaching against things and trying to make life hard for them. Yet Paul said, yet I know in my heart that the law is holy and that it is just and that it is good. Why then did it appear to be death to me? Because I am carnal and the law is spiritual. What he was saying is I was looking through the wrong lens. I was looking through eyesight that was defective. I was looking through eyes that could not see properly and I had to get my vision corrected so that I could see the law as God sees the law. Can you say amen? Amen. You've got to, in other words, you've got to put on the right pair of glasses if you're going to see clearly. And I'm here to tell you that my glasses are not the same as your glasses. My glasses don't match your eyes. If you were to put on my glasses today, you would see things differently from me. As a matter of fact, I have to wear two sets of glasses because my glasses don't all work the same way at the same time. Amen. But I've got to make sure that my vision is true and that my vision is accurate. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, you've got to make sure that you're looking through eyes that are clear. And you've got to make sure that you're looking through the mind and the lens of God. Because he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. Amen. I fear, Brother Curry, I fear a lot of things in life. But I'm here to tell you that the one thing that I fear more than anything on this earth, and it has, it's been something that has directed every sermon that I've preached, and it's directed every move that I've ever made as a pastor, it is that I fear cloudy spiritual vision more than I fear anything else. I don't fear what man can do to me, but I am fearful of looking through the wrong lens. I want to make sure 
that every step that I take is directed by the Holy Ghost. I want to make sure that every sermon that I preach is directed by the Holy Ghost. I want to make sure that every lesson that I teach is directed by the Holy Ghost because I fear cloudy vision. I want to be looking through the eyes of God. I want to be looking through and seeing things as he sees them and preaching them as he wants them preached. But I'm also here to say, and this is kind of a new twist on things today because I really had intended to go in this direction, but I'm also here to say that appearances can be deceiving on the other side because Jesus said, if thine eye be single or clear, your whole body shall be full of light. And what God spoke to me in the middle of this service was, he said, sometimes people look around and they see failure. He says, you're not looking through the same lens that I'm looking through because it doesn't matter what it appears on the outside. He said, if your eye is clear, then there's going to be light. If your eye is clear, there's going to be a moving of the Holy Ghost. If your eye is clear, people are going to be set free. If your eye is clear, people are going to be delivered. If your eye is clear, you're going to have revival. No matter what appearances look like right now, you're going to have revival. Hallelujah. When Jesus hung on the cross, somebody looking through cloudy vision saw defeat. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, somebody looking through cloudy lens, somebody looking through spiritual cataracts saw discouragement. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, somebody looking through defective eyes saw discouragement. Amen. But the Lord said, no, no, no. I got this all figured out. We're about to turn this thing around. Hallelujah. In just a few days, there's going to be a resurrection. I'm telling you, folks, I've seen churches turn around faster than that. I'm telling you that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And when he was on the cross at Calvary, it might have just been a handful of people there, but he said, I see a revival on the day of Pentecost. I see 3,000 souls. I see what's about to happen because they were looking through the wrong lens. But God said, if you look through the right lens, you'll see revival on the horizon. Is this all right? You got to be looking through the right lens. This is one of the problems that people have when it comes to spiritual convictions. Back in the Bible, Paul in Romans 14, he talked about convictions concerning food. Some believed in eating certain kinds of food that others didn't. He talked about convictions about celebration of holidays. And Paul accepted the fact that God was going to give some of us different convictions. He accepted that. There's nothing wrong with that. And you know why? That God gives us different convictions? Because my eyes are not the same as your eyes. And the correction that I need, hear me, may not be the correction that you need. Somebody said, well, I think convictions ought to be the same for everybody. That's like saying everybody ought to wear my lens. 
I knew a man one time that, and some of you heard me tell this story, but I, I like to tell it because it illustrates the point so well. I went to, to youth camp with a fellow one time who just recently got the Holy Ghost. And please understand this, folks. I don't have anything whatsoever against wearing blue jeans. I wear blue jeans all the time. But this particular man would not put on a pair of blue jeans. And he explained it when we sat down one day. He said, this is not for everybody. He said, I don't, I don't condemn anybody. I don't look down my nose at anybody else who doesn't wear them. But he said, the reason I can't wear them is he said, that's all that I wore when I was out in the hippie world. And that's all that I wore when I was doing drugs. And that's all that I wore when I was singing in the nightclubs and living that kind of life. And he said, every time I put on a pair, it reminds me of what I used to be. And he said, I can't put on a pair to save my life. And what he was trying to say is, listen, Mike Crocker, it may not be your lens, but it's mine. And it's what God has placed in my life because he has set something up there that reminds me not to go back to what I used to be. Some people never get that. They never understand that. They think it's got to be the same for everybody. And sometimes convictions become a source of confusion, confusion to new Christians and new converts. Why doesn't God give everybody the same convictions? Some people even say, it's not fair, pastor. We should all be held by the same rules. But the difference is, is we all see life through different lens. And we all have different visions. And our experiences and our upbringing and our environment have shaped us and made us what we are. And so God looks down on us and being the loving God that he is, he says, you know what, Mike Crocker? He says, I love you so much that I know what's going to hurt you. And I know what's going to cause you to stumble. And I know where you're going to fall. So I've got some convictions for you that are going to straighten out your vision. And it's going to allow you to walk right. And it's going to allow you to live right and it's going to allow you to live holy and it's going to allow you to be what I want you to be. It's not for everybody but it's going to be for you. And so he gave me my own lens so that my eyes could be single. Amen. We don't all wear the same prescription glasses. They wouldn't work because our eyes are different. But God gives you certain convictions because he knows, listen to me now, if you don't get, if you don't hear any, anything else I say, you hear what I'm about to say right now. Listen carefully. God gives you certain convictions because he knows what spirits you are susceptible to. Every personality is different. And convictions are a means of putting up guardrails in your life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, amen, he said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Just because something may not be sin does not mean that I should do it. Can you say amen? 
Our decision as a child of God should never be, will this send me to hell? But it ought to be, will this edify? When I'm making a decision based upon heaven or hell, then my salvation becomes a works-based salvation. But instead, what I ought to be saying is, is this going to hinder my walk with God? Is it going to hinder my neighbor? Is it going to hinder the person sitting on the seat next to me? Is it going to cause somebody else to stumble and somebody else to fall? And every decision that we make ought to be, Lord, not only can how can I draw closer to you, but how can I help somebody else draw closer to you? I don't want to be a stumbling block in anybody's life. You know, that's one of the things about leadership. That's one of the things about leadership is listen to me. And a lot of folks don't get this either. You can preach. I've, I've known folks been in the church their entire lives that don't get this. Leadership is about more than just your own convictions. Because here's the thing about leadership. I learned a long time ago that the new converts in the church haven't developed certain abilities and skills to determine what their eyesight ought to be just yet. And what they need is they need somebody who's going to take them spiritually by the hand and say, let me guide you until you get old enough and big enough to be able to stand on your own. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to live a life that is a safe place for you. I'm going to live a life that you can look at and you can say, you know what, if I model myself after that person, I'll be all right. I'm going to live a life that's going to set an example for you because I know that down the road you're going to grow into your own. But right now you need somebody to say, hey, this is what you ought to do. And if you live like this for right now, you'll be safe. Oh, hallelujah. Y'all don't get quiet on me now. Praise God. Some things may not be sin, but Paul said, lay aside every sin and the weight that doth so easily beset us and run with patience. You've got to understand that some things may not be sin in your life, but they will drag you or somebody else down. My dad tells me, I wish he was here today. I wish he could be here to to hear this, but... uh, because I know he would enjoy it because he always enjoys my preaching. He's supposed to. He's my dad. But the, but the thing, dad will come up to me every now and then and he'll say, you need to preach that sermon again. And I'll say, what sermon are you talking about? I've only preached about 5,000 in the last 30 years. <clears throat> he said, you preached a sermon one time called There's Spirits Out There. And for the life of me, God is my witness. I have no idea what he's talking about. Most of my sermon titles I remember. But he said, you preached a a sermon called There's Spirits Out There. But as I was putting this together, I was reminded of the fact that there really are, there really are spirits out there. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. He said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Everybody say imaginations. How many of you understand your mind is capable of some amazing imaginations? 
And he said, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are spirits out there and the things that we allow our mind or into our minds rather are going to influence our thoughts. I was reminded as I was preparing this and just sitting back earlier today thinking about this, didn't even have this in my notes, but I was reminded of the fact that on most of your car side mirrors they say objects in your mirror are closer than they appear what they're saying is your vision is distorted you can't trust what's coming up on you you better pay close attention what the spirit is trying to say to us today is when your spirit gets distorted that there are spirits in your rear view mirror that are closer than they appear and they're creeping up on you and you better pay attention to what you're doing because if you don't watch, you're going to get caught up in a spirit. A few months ago on a Wednesday night, I preached a message about gateways to the soul. And I'm going to touch on it just a little bit here today. But it, we talked about Gateway drugs. You've all heard that term. What is a gateway drug? Gateway drug is a drug that in and of itself does relatively little harm. Relatively speaking. A gateway drug. Some people would say marijuana is a gateway drug because if that's all you ever did was take one puff off of marijuana, you're not likely to do any long. You'll do more damage to your, your body probably by going to eating a Big Mac than you will from taking a single puff off of a marijuana cigarette, right? Is that even the right terminology, marijuana cigarette? <laughs> if you know better, if you know better, don't volunteer it. <laughs> Take a toke. There you go. I know more than I act. But, but we, we call it... We call it a gateway drug. We call alcohol a gateway drug. Because if all you ever did was sit down and just have a drink of wine, it's not going to be the end of the world. I'm talking about physically for you. Some people use them recreationally on a, on a regular basis with no long-term effects. But we call them gateway drugs because they lead to worse things. Nicotine becomes marijuana, marijuana becomes crack, crack becomes heroin. And in the spirit world, hear me out now, folks, there are gateway spirits. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that you could argue that they are relatively harmless with one use every now and then. But what they are is they are gateway spirits that open the door of your soul for much more dangerous things. Not long ago, somebody confessed to me, nobody in here, but someone confessed to me that just a few sips of wine opened up a door that caused them, they were susceptible to a spirit of addiction. And after having been free for quite some time from alcoholism and drug addiction, just a few sips of wine opened up a door 
in, back into addiction all over again, and it resulted in a catastrophic failure in their life. It was a gateway. I'm not here to argue or to teach on the rightness or the wrongness of alcohol. I'm here to talk and preach about spirits. And when we preach these things, we aren't saying that one time is going to shoot you straight to hell. But what I am saying is one time could be the time that opens up the gateway. One time could be the time that opens up the door and allows a spirit into your heart that destroys you. Are y'all still with me? Paul warned of things that are lawful but not expedient. Hear me, folks. I may just preach this again next week. I don't know. Listen to me, folks, and hear this preacher. When the, when the writer preaches about the love of money, he's not saying that money is evil. He's not saying that. That money has no value in and of itself, spiritual value whatsoever. When he warns us against costly array, against gold, pearls, and all these things, it's not because there's anything inherently evil about these things. Gold is neither evil nor good in and of itself. Money isn't evil or good. Expensive suits and clothes aren't inherently evil. But when he warns us about these things, uh, what he's trying to say is that they can become a gateway for a spirit into your soul because it became a gateway for a in the Old Testament. It became a gateway for Judas when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It became a gateway for Ananias and Sapphira when they, when they lied to the Holy Ghost. And what the apostle is trying to say to us is that there is a spirit that can get a hold of you. There is a spirit of excess. There is a spirit of materialism. There is a spirit of lavishness that can get a hold of you and drag you down. Certain clothing can be a gateway to a spirit of sensuality. Is the preacher okay? Am I still all right? Y'all not behind? Yeah, y'all not y'all not mad at me, right? For men, certain clothing can be a gateway to a spirit of lust. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it, it, you know the woman may be thinking, "Oh, it's, it's not something I have a problem with." Maybe not, but maybe, maybe there's a male who does. It can become a spirit. I'm not saying folks have to be plain or ugly. You know me and Sister Amanda well enough to know if there's anybody who ain't ugly. Is that woman right there? Amen. But we have to be careful. Yeah, making brownie points. There you have it. But we have to make sure that what we wear is not a stumbling block to somebody else. It's not a gateway to something worse. Hear me. Hear me, folks. I'll stop when the Holy Ghost tells me to stop, but I ain't got it yet. I hear this a lot. Listen to me now. Again, I know I said earlier, if you, if you don't hear anything else, you hear what I hear, I'm saying again, because you, you need to hear this too. I hear this. I, I've worked with young people most of my adult life. I was youth president for the United Pentecostal Church for the state of South Carolina. I started leading young people when I was 16 as a youth leader, my home church in Mississippi. And I heard this over and over again. I don't feel convicted. But here's what I learned at a very young age to ask young people. When, that, when those words would come out of their mouth, 
the first thing that came out of my mouth as a youth leader was what is your prayer life like? I had a young lady say that one time, well, I just don't feel convicted. I said, well, I just straight up. I was a lot more bold back then. And I straight up, when was the last time you prayed? Why, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that your walk with God, your prayer life is what gives you the corrective lens to be able to see clearly. And if you are not praying, if you are not walking with God, if you are not talking to him daily, you don't have the qualifications to tell what convictions ought to be or not. Jesus said, if your eye is full of darkness. How great is that darkness? The world says, and I couldn't believe it. I saw a pastor post this on Facebook this last two weeks, and it just irritated me so much. I wanted to get involved, and I said, no, I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. Wasn't my place. It certainly wasn't my place to rebuke a pastor on Facebook in front of everybody. But a pastor, of all people who ought to know better, posted on Facebook, just follow your heart. And when I see that kind of stuff, my spirit cringes because the word of God, I believe it was Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? You don't need to be following your heart. What you need to be doing is getting on your knees and talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, my heart is going to deceive me, but if I'll get the eyeglasses of the spirit on and I'll look through the eyes of the Holy Ghost, I'll see where I'm to be one of the worst things you can do is follow your heart your heart will lie to you your heart will deceive you oh my god who can know it appearances can be deceiving and if you're listening to your heart instead of getting the right eyeglasses on in the spirit you're on dangerous ground, friend. Listen, you're, you're far better off. When I ask them young folks, well, what's your prayer life like? You say you're not convicted. What's your prayer life like? Well, I really don't pray like I should. Okay, well, you're better off following somebody who does. What you need to do is quit telling me that you don't feel convicted and you need to get behind somebody who does have a prayer life and you need to say, tell me what to do and for right now, at least until I develop a prayer life, I'll follow somebody who does because at least one of us is going to have some vision. Jesus said, if you don't, the blind will lead the blind and they'll both fall into the ditch. Woo! I'm feeling it. You better trust somebody who's got clear vision. Trust somebody who walks with God. Trust somebody who prays. That's one of the reasons why, folks, that I, I know, I, look, I, I, I'm not saying we ought to worship the dead or any, any of that, but there's a lot of times in my uh, time as a pastor that I have looked back and I have said to myself, I wonder what my grandfather would have done in this circumstance. I wonder what my grandfather would have done in this situation. Why? Because I knew that he walked with God. I knew that he had a relationship with God. And I may not trust mine in every situation but I wanted to get behind somebody that had a walk and somebody that can say this is the right way this is the way to go just in case my eyesight is not as clear as it should be and I want to ask you today 
is your spiritual eyesight healthy? Because Paul said, when I looked through the wrong lens, he said everything looked like death to me. I looked at the law and all I saw was a mean old priest giving me a bunch of rules. I looked at the law and I said, I can never do this. I looked at the law and I said, this, this, is, this is crazy. But he said, but something inside of me said, no, it's good. <laughs> it's right. It's holy. And he said, I do it in my spirit because God placed something inside of us. He said, I do it in my spirit that it was right. And he said, once I got full of the Holy Ghost, I could see things like I didn't see them. God wants to give somebody clear vision today. Somebody who's been looking through the wrong lens. Oh, my God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, though, the Lord has reassured me today, not just that appearances can be deceiving when it comes to sin, but we've also got to understand that appearances can be deceiving when it comes to revival. I mentioned it earlier, but I wanted to, to close it with that. Hallelujah. But uh, I want us to stand. Hallelujah. How many of you want your vision to be cleared? I don't know of anybody in here. There's something wrong with you if you want to walk around life with looking through cataracts. There's something wrong with you if you want to walk around with, without proper vision and without being able to see things as they ought to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Check yourself. Check your walk with God. Check your walk with God. What's your prayer life like? What's your prayer life like? You know what I desire today, saints of God? I don't desire to live holy in accordance with what other people might think about me. Though we do have to think about what other people think about us because the Bible commands us to and because we can be a hindrance to somebody else. But first and foremost, I want him to look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. That's what I want. I have tried to preach for years that, that all I can do is, is get up here and tell you what the word says and preach the word of God and, and try to let, let it take root in you. But you know what? You've got to develop a love for the things of God on your own. One of the first sermons that I ever preached, don't worry, I'm not going to preach it again today. I might add it in next week. I don't know. One of the first sermons I ever preached, the title of it was, I fell in love with the beauty of holiness. And at the start of the sermon, I would tell a story about a young lady that my parents introduced me to. And I said, at first I wasn't really sure if I really cared that much about her, but mom and dad thought she was a wonderful young lady, and they kept 
kind of pushing the relationship. And I kind of went along with it just because mom and dad were kind of pushing me, you know. But over time, as I grew up and I got to know the young lady more, I began to develop deeper and deeper feelings for her. And soon, soon enough, eventually, I fell in love. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about holiness. David said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. But you know, all I can do, all your mama can do, all your daddy can do is introduce you. That's good. That's good. They can tell you she would be a good partner for you. They can't make you fall in love. That's true. You got to do that on That's your true. own. That's true. That's true. Very true. How many of you want to fall in love with holiness today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's Jesus. love him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Is there anybody that would like, as they sing it for us, anybody that would like to come and kneel?